Welcome to Black Mountain College Radio, a podcast from Black Mountain College Museum and Art Center. I'm Jeff Arnell, Executive Director. Each program in our series focuses on various topics related to Black Mountain College and Black Mountain College Museum and Art Center. By presenting dynamic programming of this nature, we hope to deepen your relationship with both the college's vital legacy and the work of our Asheville-based museum. Hey, thanks for tuning in to Black Mountain College Radio. I'm Carmelo Pampolonio. Our fourth episode is an interview with conceptual artist Mel Chin, who will be giving a keynote address at our upcoming Reviewing Nine conference, which will be on Friday, September 29th at UNCA. Mel and I discuss the social and political side of his works, dismantling personal and societal delusions, and how art can facilitate the creation of a more just and invigorating society. So we'll now go to the interview with Mel, which took place in his studio in Burnsville, North Carolina. Thanks for joining us, Mel. So, your works often merge art and social work. What criteria, if any, do you use to strike a balance and ultimately blur the line between the two? Um, you know, there are no two sides to the story, as seems people are fond of saying. I think there's only one story, and that's the, how poetic is the project or the concept. I'm a conceptual artist, and if it needs to be materialized in form or as an object, then so be it. And if it it has to be a project that engages everything from plants to pollution to people, then so be it. But the poetics of the project is important. Does it have a uh, a structure within that poetics that's worth living, living it out, and making it live, you know? And uh, and that's the critique. The internal critique is is uh, it's always ongoing. Is it is it really provocative enough? And does it really represent it in such a um, a powerful way with some kind of economy or some kind of uh, essence? Then we will proceed. You know. So being a conceptual artist, do you feel that your works subvert the regime of identification of art? Well, there, there are certain projects, and art, the term itself is wide open. And so why would we start beginning begin this restrictive process mm-hmm. for an artist maybe the art historians must do this and and, and but I, I or maybe not the newer ones should be open to this that a process um, can come in different ways and um, restricting in any shape or form is probably not healthy for it mm-hmm. you know not healthy for art and um, so I always try to say it's maybe Malcolm quadruple X, you know, by any means, by any action, by any material, by any any method necessary to transmit what we call that principle that we, that sometimes we don't even know if it's truly the term art yet. But as an artist, if it's coming out an artist, it is, you know. And um, on the other end, I'm obligated to having a hypercriticality about the process. That it's not not a frivolous action. It's not trivial. And if it gets there, then it, it moves toward extinction, you know, before it leaves the mind or the studio or the pen or whatever. Yeah. 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 Your projects often have a collaborative and democratic nature involving communities of people working together. What has been one of the most edifying experiences in any of your collaborations? I remember when we were making the safe house door in New Orleans in this neighborhood in Eighth Ward that's, that's plagued with violence post-flood 
and heavy, heavy lead contamination that it resulted in, not just in the soil, basically in the blood of children that were poisoned out of this house, that the obligations were immense to if you're going to go there. And before the Prospect One or the big art exhibition, I decided to have a party for the neighborhood first so they would see the project first and understand what it was about. Why would it be, even though it was some kind of art collective and some houses being decorated, a lot of the parties were there like for the people from out of town to come in and check it all out. Mm-hmm. I was not there for that. I was there, yeah, I was there for the lead pollution and, uh, and I found a spot where there, after measuring with scientists to be intensely bad and knowing the safe house, the, that we came to safe house, uh, was the home before the flood of three children who were forever changed and transformed by lead in their brain and their bloods and bone, you know. So this event uh, was so important to me because it's called the Love Where You Live <laughs> kind of project. And we had a dinner party for the neighborhood and not for the people from the art world. Right. And the the explanation of this this project, which was actually taking a house and cutting a 10-foot hole in it and and saving that part and turning it into a vault that could close and open to hold the first $100 bills, which is a project about people expressing and having value, value valuing their voice against lead, lead poisoning of themselves or, or of their families to give it some meaning, it would start with drawings from there. And so when this safe house is built, uh, was getting close to completion, I said, let's open it up for the neighborhood. Cool. And I remember it was like, how many lessons were learned there? I remember when the the kids, I said, okay, I had about, what, 40 kids hanging out. I said, what does it look like? They said, it looked like a vault. It looked like a bank, you know? They could see it. They, and I said, well, I'm going to open up. I want you to be careful because it's not done yet. I'm going to crack this whole thing because the whole whole facade would open up you know, like a huge vault. They just rushed it. They just all jumped in, were screaming to the top of their lungs, where's the money? Where's my asset? And uh, I said, well, that's it's just going to be your money. You control this, and your parents are here. We're going to talk about lead problems. We've cleaned the whole house up, and it's going to be your money that we'll put in the wall. It started with like maybe 100 drawings from the neighborhood, mm-hmm. and it grew originally, and then the safe house could hold about 7,000. And now we have maybe close to half a million from across the country. And we're still gathering. We just finished a presentation of the Funded Reserve in Washington, D.C. Or even now we reached a point where we're having people like Nancy Pelosi and meeting leaders to come in to understand what this project is from the people. It's by the people. It's not by me. You know, totally. It's a concept that is there to deliver drawings by the people. But it began there. So I was... We say that moment, there's always always moments in every piece, personally or private, but that was one moment where I knew a project was about to begin. The, uh, that same evening, I get to see the first evidence of, uh, of twerking. I think it was ma- basically maybe they, maybe called sissy bouncers, a lot of things. They didn't call it that, you know, but it was in the street. The street was filled with like 400 people. Wow. And I remember... Uh, this, this neighbor who was watching the house go up, his name was Alvin. Alvin says, hey, man, look at that, look at that dancing. And it was, of course, it was, I said, how can you not? You know, it was so, 
And then he was laughing. He said, I'm just kidding. He said, look, he said, thank you for the most fun night and, mo and most safe night I've ever had. And that struck me. He said, he said, I'm 33, I'm from St. Rock, but this is the most fun night and the safest night. And I said, what do you mean? He says, because the police are watching us and not busting us, and I feel safe now. And then, you know, this is a street that is almost called Murder Alley, or, you know, Murder Row in New Orleans. People just shoot down the street and... And uh, you see the pain. I was even in, uh, when someone was a street party, they all knew me. And they said, hey, Mel, join us. I was with a German uh, video documentary crew. And they said, come join me. You know, I said, okay, let me get done with it. You know, these, these guys from Germany, right? And it was a street party. And then um, I hear the popping, and it's a 9 millimeter. Someone is shooting to the party. And they're screaming and running. And I just tell the crew, the crew takes off without me because they're so scared, and they should. I call them later. But I remember saying, this is why I do what I do. So your recent project, titled The Tie That Binds, is a project focused on empowering individuals to help change the drought-ridden landscapes of California by starting their own mirror gardens based off your own sustainable blueprints. What has been the impact of this project so far? Do you know exactly how many people have created mirror gardens? I, I know The Tie That Binds, you know, it was a part of a biennial. It was supported to a certain limited <laughs> amount. And so you do as much as you can. I guess I overdid. I did 500. Uh, it's just conceptual. Like, if you can have more people plant uh, water-saving gardens, then you save that much more water, mm -hmm. right? And so about 512, 524, 512 um, blueprints were made, all individual. Wow. And we gave away, to be honest, about 100-something. You know, and that was okay. And I think not that many were executed, uh, but I just got a call from a woman in South Central, you know, or no, they call it, what they call it now. It's not called, they don't use that term anymore, but Central Los Angeles. And, and, um, and, and she reported and sent me images of her garden has gone totally wild and she loves it and, you know, had to trim it. You know, get some, and so I think it's it's measured in concept. I it would need more gardens, you know, yeah. but we still know there are blueprint holders there, and it was never a time frame about you have to do it now. Right. But we did spend the rest of the year with a landscape architecture school to help people implement. So I think uh, it remains as to be seen if tie that minds will eventually spread more but i know that people are holding these these blueprints so i'm hoping for the best you know but it's there, there's a project where you really go all out and um you make the mirrors and you make do whatever you can and um and then uh you have to let go of the, this because it eventually is owned by the people right. and they complete a larger massive landscape art project yeah. so we're still in we're still we're still planting, I guess. <laughs> yeah. 
So five poems by Charles Olson inspired your piece, Food for Thought, Five Plates for Charles Olson, which you performed at one of Black Mountain College Museum and Arts Center's fundraisers in 2010. Have any other BMC artists been of significant influence in your work? Well, you know, sometimes the way I do my research, I focus on the place. And then you think about not so much the artist, but just the place. And, you know, there it was Olson who gathered it together. So I get fascinated by Olson. <laughs> and that, that was a natural kind of performance that emerged from that and a pieces that came out of that. So I can't escape Bucky Fuller in terms of spirit and identity. Maybe my sleep patterns might be influenced by him. You know, his polyphasic sleep idea of trying to sleep the least amount to be the most productive. By the way, it's he had to stop, and sometimes I do too. So you really can't function in one hour a day. That's what I found out, or one hour at a time. But yeah, the Black Mountain is a expansive territory of creativity that emerged out of here. And I look forward to be further inspired as I go back to more of these things. In an interview with Bomb Magazine, you said that you look at art making as an act to dismantle delusions that you've built up. Can you give an example of one of the more significant or salient delusions that you've dismantled? Well, they 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 come up all the time. Um, you know, you're human, so you're influenced by the world around you. One one piece I keep pointing out was the I was making these pieces about Central America. It was for the Hershore Museum. I wanted to make something in D.C. It was my first museum show, and it was these huge White House columns. And it was many years ago now, but it, it always is on my mind of how I felt that my my understanding of American foreign policy was so it was so horrible that I needed to make a critique in this formal way. It's a piece, you know. It included gathering goat blood and putting in this mix of, of coffee and mud, banana leaf fiber, mahogany, and it's in the collection of the Museum of Fine Arts of Houston now. But uh, at the time, it was important to make this critique. And when I was collecting the blood, I was confronted with this person who was torturing the animals, and uh, he threw one of the goats at me, and I ducked and it cracked the basket, this huge cornucopia. And I started grabbing the animals and spraying their life over the piece. And As they were still alive? They were dying mm. because he kept throwing them at me and I was because everything was coagulating around my feet. But the worst, how I was most shaken by that was leaving and thinking that um, all my life, I thought, at that time, I thought I was doing the right thing. And I was um, I was a pacifist, or I was at least thinking I was. And uh, I was also against that kind of cruelty. But in the end, when you, in the process of making it, when I made contact with this person who was in this room with me and started basically being part of his process, that I'm united. I, so you think you're, you're special, because you're an artist, and maybe you get a delusion that I'm so special and I'm gifted with these things that uh, the world just doesn't understand me. Someday they will, you know. And I'm special because I have a different insight, and I, I have this power to make things, and let's say talent, to represent things in this abstract or realistic way. It doesn't matter. 
And then you're confronted with a moment that, no, you're just common. You're united with the cruelty of the world. And the moment you forget that is the moment you will leave this kind of mantle that you're preparing for yourself. That as you critique the world, you, you have to save space to critique oneself. And that's hard to do if you build yourself up with, with maybe a more narcissistic view of yourself or a special gifted view of yourself. To be human is to live life and then maybe even exercise that what you make may be the tool to dismantle your own delusion. And that may be the best art you could possibly make. Because it starts from that inward kind of reality. And, um, and to know you're united. And that's what we have to strive to move beyond or move in a different path occasionally. I don't think you can escape it. And this is really uh, experienced trauma and tragic situations through my whole life. And I, it just wears on you. But then it wears you in a degree where you're obligated to come up with things that are not that. And to find that poetry again, to, to, to rekindle what is not that definitive and crushing kind of uh, trauma that you experience in the world. So it is, uh, yeah. And, and I, even as I speak, sometimes I think, you know, so what delusion is driving this now? You know? Always a healthy thought to think. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, we've uh, it's been a hard spring, and now we could we are still continuing. Yeah, and um, so I'm hoping, and I don't expect certain things to change, but uh, I know I have a lot to do. Yeah, there's a lot of work to be done. Yeah, there's a lot of work to be done. And how we how I approach it is not always the same, and I've been. It's almost as you're put in a position of to, to constantly think about how do how do I okay how do I transform myself now. The, the important thing is to resist a lot of things and be vocal and resist the obvious. But how do you transform that climate? You know, how do you maybe. Even beyond yourself, how do you transform a climate that may be impacting the way people think in such negative and cruel terms? Maybe it's not trying to teach anybody anything, but to become human, so human that you, to be creative on creating the climate that people have to endure that causes these monsters to emerge. I think that's maybe a job description. I don't know what that is. and uh, it, But it may take a greater critical inward focus to discover that. And that's... I am contemplating that a lot now. You know? It seems that would be the job description in any culture of the good citizen. Yeah. Yeah, we're making this project for uh, Philadelphia. It's called To Me. And it's going to be in, and it's in September. I got to get it there. And it's actually two plinths that are based on outside. I don't know if you know Philadelphia, but the city hall. There is a sculpture of a guy named John Wanamaker. He's the Macy's of his time, or you know, department store dude. 
of his time. And he's looking at this building that was his former department store, and it's got his name, and it says Citizen. <laughs> John, Wa- John Wanamaker, Citizen. It's very emblazed. So we're replicating those plinths, and they're going to be Im- those pedestals, and it's going to be open to people to... We're making two of them, and they're in the same plane. So there's, it's called To Me, T-W-O. And there's a 90-foot ramp on both, uh, or there's 90-foot ramps on both sides that a person separates and climbs up those things, and they can be there for that Instagrammable moment of themselves, right? However, to the left or to the right, depending on which pedestal, will be somebody else representing him or herself, mm-hmm. or they self. And it's this me. And uh, uh, when asked about this project, I, I, we're going through a lot of trouble to make it exactly like that citizen pedestal, right? And we're doing it because I think fundamentally uh, our country has been predicated on, on two interesting comments. You know, one is about this uh, rights of the individual, which is important in the Declaration of Independence, right? And subsequently this whole notion of rugged individualism and what it means to be creative and uh, are important in your society. But the individual, corporations can be considered individuals now. So this individual thing is maybe even gotten out of hand, but but it's it's a powerful thought. Simultaneously, it's we the people. <laughs> and so these are the monuments I'm discussing with these two things. It's like two monuments that are taking a hold of our not only just our imagination, but our very law and our very hopes in a whole country, right? And here you have a project. The moment you make a decision to, to celebrate yourself, someone else can. You are a we, but unfortunately you are separated by a certain kind of positioning. Mm-hmm. And it may be more about maybe the monuments of our time is to question and to really understand the contradictions that that deny us real kind of connection with the social contract. So artworks can serve to be that kind of pedestal to begin. It's more about beginning the the uh, real, not just articulation or even understanding, but a real process of maybe deconstructing uh, terms that are so easily manipulated into creating those delusions that you just asked me about. You see? Mm-hmm. That may be more important. And so it's, again, creating climates for that. Um, the artwork doesn't have to say it all. It just, sometimes it can be the climate for it to, for the question to thrive in. You know? I think, um, it's not me, but it's the great James Baldwin that speaks of um, the purpose of art is probably to, I uh, probably misquoted, you can look it up, but the purpose of art is to uncover the question that is buried within the answer. You know, I truly believe that. I think he got it right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to join us, Mel, and I'm looking forward to your keynote address at our reviewing conference on September 29th. Thank you very much. I appreciate you. Appreciate you. Yeah. This is Black Mountain College Radio, and I'm Carmelo Pampolonio.
More episodes are planned for the near future and will include more interviews, arts updates, biographies, and historical and experimental segments. For more information, go to blackmountaincollege.org.